Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, we are in the middle of a series about denominations. Why do we have them? What works well? What do we struggle with? All of that good stuff. So, so far we've talked a little bit about history of denominations, as well as uh, one of the pros of denominations, which is education and you know, getting and training pastors and accountability for pastors. So where are we going next? Next, we're going to another pro of denominations, and that is how we work together within our denominations, how we work together as um, churches in a community, um, churches across synods and conferences and dioceses, uh, and what kind of good things we can do for the community because each individual church doesn't have to do everything. Mm-hmm. So, so the idea being that as, uh, and each of us, as we've said before, uh, are pastors who serve in Christian traditions that belong to larger denominations. We aren't just sort of mm-hmm. self-contained in local congregations that, uh, those denominational networks allow us to partner with, uh, other people of our stripe of Christian locally and uh, nationally and around the world to do good work that we couldn't do mm-hmm. locally in just with just ourselves or our talents or our abilities. What what kinds of things are we talking about there? For me, a so, big one, at least in the churches I serve now, is like food ministries. Okay. Um, you know, one of my churches has... Uh, a twice a month meal and they host the mobile food bank for our county. Um, but like my other churches, at least um, the other church that I currently pastor at um, comes down and helps with, you know, meals and helps with support some of those meals and trying to get some volunteers to come down um, from both churches to work together, to serve a meal, to provide um, the resources for that meal or to just work at the food bank because that they are always in need of volunteers with our mobile food bank. And those, uh, b- by having that common denominational affiliation, there's sort of like a built-in wider circle of people who are the go-to, hey, we need mm-hmm. volunteers in a way that would feel weird and probably fruitless to just put out a uh, a post on your local congregation's Facebook post. Hey, we need random people to help. Like you've got this wider network already. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what kinds of things do you see as, as the kind of outreach or mission work that uh, denominations make possible that individual congregations couldn't do or couldn't do as well? Well, so, so to me, ministry has always been about teamwork is that we're all in this together, trying to do God's work in the world. And part of that means working together. And so that's whether you're working together with a, a you know, small group of local congregations who are, have a common goal of like, hey, Jesus tells us to feed people like Erica is talking about in doing some sort of um, local food pantry. Um, but also, like, I feel like the more people you get together who's working towards that common goal of food pantry the more likely it is that you're going to be successful in tapping into larger food pantries, whether they Mm -hmm. are run by a church 
or the state. Um, you know, I certainly have served in congregations before that they ran the food pantry and you could donate food like individuals could donate food to the food pantry. Um, but most of their food came from the state of Pennsylvania. And like the big food bank of Pennsylvania would give them a big shipment every month to help stock their food pantry. Um, and again, like you're able to do that kind of thing when it's more than just 10 people in a congregation that is working at a food pantry. Like it's you know, it's a lot of people working together to fulfill this need, this local need. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but likewise, like you can kind of like, once there's a bunch of, once you're, you have a established food pantry, you can easily like then make connections with other food pantries and other churches and have them help. Like, so it's not just you, it's not just the one pastor or the one congregation that's trying to do this one thing but rather it's a bunch of people who saying, yeah, I heard that. Um, I heard Jesus say in the book of Matthew that we're supposed to feed people. I want to help. Let me help. And, you know, we're able to accomplish so much more when we're then working together. And so it's kind of like a ripple when you drop something into a pond, um, you know, the water ripples, like it just starts getting bigger and bigger, the more you're able to connect to other people, other congregations, other organizations. And, um, you're able to accomplish a lot more than just a single congregation is ever able to accomplish. You know, th that reminds me too, that uh, one of the advantages as you scale up with those kinds of projects is that when you get eventually enough people partnering together, it doesn't have to be like, one local congregation's pastor also has to be uh, an expert at food pantry management. But when you get big enough that, okay, we can hire somebody whose job is to oversee that. And that's a different skill set. Mm -hmm. There's administrative stuff. There's other kinds of skills. And then it doesn't fall to one person in one local congregation to be the expert on that. Each multiple congregation who's participating can say, all right, we're going to contribute X in volunteer hours or donations or labor or money or whatever, so that someone who can be good at that can do that that job well. Um, and again, as you scale up, uh, that becomes more feasible rather than just one congregation or one or two working together. And if you've already got one, the, the, the network already of, hey, we already work with these congregations, they're in our denomination on this, we can partner in this other way. Maybe one of the other things that I guess a denomination brings uh, is one would hope at least there is a certain broadly common enough vision about why or what we do things that we can all collectively say we have this, a shared vision of what's our purpose in mm -hmm. this ministry. So without, I'm not looking to pass judgment here on the different approaches to doing mission, but there are some uh, approaches in Christianity that would say every food ministry also has to include a pamphlet on the gospel to make sure that people know about Jesus and we make them sit through a church service or a sermon before we give them food. And there are traditions where like, that's their bailiwick. And I'm not part of that kind of a tradition. Um, I would say more broadly, our, uh, the tradition for which I come would be like, nope, feeding people is important on its own terms. And mm -hmm. we are not ashamed about we are Christians doing it, but it is not a precondition to feed people that they sit through a sermon first. And if you've got that sort of collective, we're all in that same wavelength. We don't have to fight about that. We can all start our primary goal here is we're looking to feed people in this particular ministry. 
And also evangelism is another thing that happens in other ways that feels like we don't have to fight those battles. Whereas if you got people from really, really different perspectives on that, you'd end up fighting over, well, are we going to allow recovering drug addicts to get food or how clean do they have to be? Or do we have to make them sit through a sermon? But like, those are battles we don't have to fight if we're working within our denominational traditions. At, at least we don't, that doesn't have to become a hurdle. Yes. Um, that being said, like, I think having that common mission, like, let's continue with the example of a food pantry yeah. and feeding people. Um, I used to serve in Western Iowa and, you know, very small town, cornfield surrounding the town so that like, there's a, like miles and miles of cornfield between you and the next town. And so you're more likely in those situations to not work necessarily within your denomination, sure. but to form ministerial groups, mm-hmm. which looks like um, all of the churches, and in this case, all the Christian churches getting together and the pastors meet once a month to pray for each other, check in with each other, and to do some common mission together. In my town, it was the food pantry. Mm-hmm. And so we had two locations my congregation was the host of one of them and um there was another congregation that would also help um but everybody all of the churches in that town said yes we agree that feeding people is important and we're going to do it both by supporting the food pantry by giving volunteers and helping to donate the food because we were not connected to a statewide food pantry that would give us food mm-hmm. and to make sure that the Meals on Wheels program in town had drivers. Um, so those were the ways that the ministerial supported food ministry within our town. And it was, you know, all of it was not a denominational effort, but rather the effort of local churches in that town agreeing to do this thing and it did mean though like steve mentioned earlier mean that at the beginning there was lots of conversations about do we hand out pamphlets and uh there was enough churches that said no we don't do that um that no we don't we didn't hand out pamphlets we didn't make sure like you know we didn't do any evangelism but that was a big conversation that had to happen at the start of the food ministry of like, right. do we do these things? Right. Do we require church attendance that if you're going to get from uh, from a food pantry, do you have to attend a church once a month? No, we we agreed that, no, let's not do that. They just had to be a local resident because we didn't want people from out of town um, draining all of our resources. So like that was like the one mm-hmm. stipulation that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's the same kind of thought process of we can accomplish more together than separately. And this is, I think, a helpful reminder, because while this whole series has been focused on the the ways we live together for good and for ill in denominations and the way those can feel sometimes like tribes or like, you know, like with rigid boundaries, that we can play to the strengths of denominations and also see the value of crossing denominational lines to partner with people right in our neighborhood uh, rather than, no, we only play with other Lutherans or we only play with other mm-hmm. Presbyterians or we only play with other Methodists or what have you. Um, I know in a, in a further conversation, as we look at some of the downsides of denominational life, we're going to have to explore how sometimes our denomin- denominational affiliations become like barriers that 
keep us from that kind of partnership and how to avoid that. But it's it's a helpful reminder that you, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can partner with people mm-hmm. across those lines in a community uh, and you can work with people in your own tradition uh, in, in a community, in a, in a larger geographic area, that kind of thing. And I was going to say, most of the places I've lived, um, I have noticed that outside of denominations of my own, there tends to be like just one Lutheran church, one Episcopal church, one Sometimes two Presbyterians, it, it depends on where you live, but like it's only, there is only one of each denomination. Mm-hmm. Um, the Methodists are tend to be more, but that goes back to our history and, and things. We'll probably get into that in another episode, um, especially in where I serve now, but you, you have to learn together to work mm-hmm. together then, you know, when you don't have another congregation just down the road that shares your denomination, you know, it only makes sense to learn to work together and that's something that i've noticed in my last appointment and in this current one that the churches in the area do really really well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which i'm grateful for um i want to take that thinking then and expand it a little bit to think about how denominations can be helpful built-in networks for larger outreach or to better use or make efficient our outreach from a local congregation Mm -hmm. to where a disaster might strike somewhere else in the world. And to me, this is one of those things that is a a bigger conversation churches need to deal with when we talk about mission work and being missionaries. Sometimes people picture doing mission work is me here in the United States. I have to personally be the one to fly on a plane, cross an ocean and go somewhere else where those other people are who are in need, who I don't know, don't have connections with, don't have a rapport with, don't know the Mm -hmm. culture, that kind of thing. But me being a missionary means I have to go there. Uh, And I think one of the things that denominational relief partnership or outreach or mission partnerships allow us to do is to say, wait, we've already got folks who share our tradition and they are already, you know, uh, in -hmm. other places so that when a disaster strikes, we don't have to start from scratch or from the ground up and, you know, start introducing ourselves, people who already have those connections with whom we're already in partnership. And then we've already got chains of supply lines or ways to give donations Mm -hmm. so that local donations say here in Pennsylvania, can very quickly or easily in in liquid ways be sent to places or help reach people far away quicker which especially in times of disaster you want to be able to respond quickly rather than it will take six months to get to know the people and then another year before they trust us Mm -hmm. and then another Mm -hmm. five years where we build no that infrastructure can be there yeah that's um in in my denomination we call that um core our united methodist committee on relief and UMCOR is one of those amazing organizations. I know you all have something similar yeah. in the Lutheran denomination where when there's a natural disaster, whether it's in the States or across the globe, you know, we can instantly, like they'll put together an advanced number, which is just a, a number that you write on your check to say, we want this money that we've collected to go to this specific place for this specific natural disaster tragic event that's happened so you know when hurricanes happen when tsunamis happen within a day of them happening funds can start being sent to wherever that disaster is happening from people here in in around the johnstown pennsylvania area the whole way over into the philippines yeah or to people with dealing with wildfires out in california yeah um and it's just it's it's almost instantaneous that that money gets there um long before we can get there because 
as somebody who's worked with natural disasters and worked after Katrina down in Louisiana, they don't need people right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't need things right away. Because honestly, if you send too many people right away, especially if they don't know what they're doing, then you just cause more chaos. But if yeah. you can send financial support immediately and then eventually down the road send, you know, building supplies or whatever they might need, that makes that recovery process work easier and better. Yeah, that, that's a really good example, because like you know, when a disaster happens, whether locally, nationally, internationally, our best impulse is, yes, we want to help. And sometimes it's hard to hear, but necessary to hear hold on, we need somebody organizing who's there on site to tell what's needed at what time. And mm-hmm. if we were left with only little individual congregations from all across the country saying, oh, they need help, we will send a team of volunteers and all you know, rushing the situation and nobody on site saying, hold on, this is what we need now. Phase one is we just need, uh, you know, basically cash to be able to, you know, uh, buy immediately what we need. And then we'll need mm-hmm. hands and then we'll need labor. Then we need in-kind donations. Um that's helpful. And when you've got a denominational partnership, whether it's a national network or something like UMCOR for the United Methodists or Lutheran World Relief or Lutheran Disaster Relief as well in our traditions. And I know Presbyterians and Catholics uh, and other traditions have their own mm-hmm. parallel organizations. Then you can have folks who who are equipped pretty quickly in a, the wake of a disaster mm-hmm. to show up, assess the situation, and then get back to congregations all around the country. And Another beautiful thing about that kind of partnership is while there are times when cash donations are the most helpful, there can be times where physical in-kind things that, you know, dear, uh, you know, ladies in the local quilter circle in one church, you know, making us like, you know, uh, I picture um, in the congregations where I serve, uh, they're often a quilting groups who make quilts that then get sent to Lutheran World Relief so that in mm-hmm. response to disaster, refugees or people fleeing after a flood or disaster, get them and they never know the names of those people, but they know, man, some, some, per- there's a personal touch there in a way that just mm-hmm. a check or cash doesn't, but my goodness, somebody's skill and care and time went into this or, uh, maybe you do the same. Uh, we we will make um, school kits or health and hygiene mm-hmm. kits uh, with mm-hmm. you know basic essentials. That again, because of the existence of structures like Lutheran World Relief, and because they've got a warehouse and a stockpile of those, when there's a need somewhere in the world, mm-hmm. Lutherans and Methodists and whoever all around the you know nation can be making those things and having them ready. And because they're non-perishable, it's not like we're putting fresh milk in them. Um, they can be sent out uh, at a moment's notice. And again, we've got those networks and those those partnerships already so that we don't have to start over from scratch uh, and, and we don't have to get to know or, or build a rapport with people uh, when, when a disaster happens. And when you build those kind of kits, at least for us, there is a, a method, um, obviously, as good methods, there's a yeah. method to those kits. You know, like we do cleaning buckets and health kits mm-hmm. a lot in this area and like Every single cleaning bucket is a five-gallon bucket with a list of, you know, however many items and how many ounces of certain things need to go in there, how many gloves, how many masks, right. how many garbage bags. And so then it's not just, well, let me send just some random cleaning supplies. Right. I am sending a bucket that is going to be basically identical to every other bucket Yeah. that's being sent here. Um, the brands might change, but sure. the items are identical. Yeah. And so then you know when you get that bucket or when yeah. you get that health kit, this is exactly what you're getting. Right. So then if there are things in there that you need that 
aren't in there, then you know, okay, we need to go get X, Y, and Z. But we know that we have A, B, and C. Right. Right. And again, uh, like we talked about with the, with the, the food pantry example, and not that as, as denominations that might have a common, broadly speaking, theological perspective, and you can decide in advance, okay, we're not putting the strings of you have to come to church first to get the food. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you can approach disaster relief in the same way of like, okay, yeah. we're, we're not making sure that there's a pamphlet stuck in or, uh, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. And our, it's a, these are cleaning supplies. We're not putting pamphlets for you need to come to our church mm-hmm. or something like that. This is we're helping neighbors. And I think even similarly, maybe maybe we don't think about this as often. Um, but it's it's worth saying out loud. There are Christian traditions who approach even natural disasters differently than than mine or maybe uh, other, at least the three of us do. There are Christian traditions that tend to respond to natural disasters as this is a sign of God's judgment and these people are being mm. punished for. I mean, like, I, I'm sad mm-hmm. that that's a reality, but I got to yeah. name that. And uh, it, it's not always coming out of Calvinism, but sometimes folks at a real strong Calvinist bent will be the disaster is God's wrath and... Uh, therefore we need to treat that as this is God's judgment. That's going to certainly change your perspective on disaster relief, I would think. Um, and we don't have to, to rehash those theological questions if we come from a tradition that says, okay, nope, when there's a disaster, our job is unequivocally to show mercy and bring relief. We are not mm-hmm. playing the, is this God's judgment on anybody thing? Nope, we're not doing that. So we can skip all that step and move right to how can we be helpful? Um, and again, that's possible because we share a common theological uh, you know, tradition or, or a perspective. And we don't have to like every time there's a disaster trying to convince the one curmudgeon in the room, no, this is not God's wrath on those people we should help them um and and maybe that's also part of our witness too that people in the wider world who might be on the receiving end of disaster relief don't have to constantly worry oh my goodness are we going to get shamed if we accept their help because it's going to come with a sermon about how our wickedness is what brought on the earthquake Mm -hmm. or the tsunami or the whatever um and even i i think that it's that kind of those kind of uh partnerships that make our witness credible when we go to places, especially uh, to offer relief to in, in the wake of disasters in nations and places that aren't predominantly Christian. You know, there, yeah. there are times where if people's only experience with other Christians has been primarily to say, uh, first thing we need to say about you is you're going to hell and you know, that we'll feed you um, man that you're going to pretty quickly say, no, thank you. I will not uh, take your donations. Um, but if we can start with, you know what? Our first response is, has always been, we're here to offer whatever help we can to accompany people. Um, it's going to make it more likely that, that folks we want to be able to help. will be willing to receive what we have to offer too. If there are those long-standing networks of, yeah, we've worked with them before. They weren't jerks, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And something else, and I, I don't know World Lutheran Relief or, or anything like that, but like with Umcor, because these folks are already there, mm-hmm. um, they're there for the long run. Yeah. So, you know, how like the Red, not disparaging the Red Cross by any means, but the Red Cross comes in, they take care of the initial disaster, and then they have to go somewhere else. Right. Because there's always disasters happening somewhere. But like with Umcor, and I'm assuming the same with the Lutherans and, and other denominations. Sure because they're already on the ground living there, mm-hmm. then they can stay that long term and they can make sure that, you know, I, as I mentioned going to Katrina, we went, my home church went three years in a row. Katrina hit in five. We went six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. I went two of those trips. There are still people in Louisiana recovering from Katrina 15 years later, you know, 
And there are still people there from UMCOR making sure they get what they need, Um, which I think is a beautiful thing um, with these type of organizations because the folks are there. um, So they're there for the long term and they know exactly they're not just coming in with their supplies and saying, okay, what works for this situation? They they've lived through it probably. Right. Right. And so then they can say, okay, you know, we've had massive flooding and so we need cleaning before we need building supplies because we need to clean out what has been flooded before we can rebuild. Yeah. And those kind of things. And I think this, like we've kind of been uh, talking around this in this conversation so far that uh, part of mission work, if we're going to do it responsibly, has to have that sense, not of we who know well, know better here in America are here to fix other people, but like that sense of building trust and rapport mm-hmm. with, with folks to accompany them. And so rather than, uh, hi, I'm an American, I must automatically know how to fix your problem in Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa. If you've already got the partnerships and there are people there who are like, no, mm-hmm. we, we know what we need in this, you know, there's a famine or there's an earthquake or there's a whatever. And we trust you, our American partners or our European partners or whatever, because we've got these longstanding uh, denominational yeah. ties or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's the ability to start with we're not just you know pretending uh, you know sort of bringing our our um charitably dressed colonialism to try and fix you in our no you know what you need you tell us and we can offer that kind of help that mm-hmm. you you have a credibility um advantage when you've got those partnerships yeah. already and again that that's something one way of building that is with denominational partnerships that are that have you know taken sometimes centuries to build but they're they're there and they, they can serve in that way Okay, so I think one of the big strengths in working together in a denomination is knowing that I don't have to do it all in the mm-hmm. sense that if my my congregation feels called to meet a certain need of hunger and to be in food ministry, it's it's nice knowing that there are other denominations whose focus is elsewhere in God's mission. So Mm -hmm. that there are other denominations focused on um, making sure that um, there's a good after school program in places that need to have after school programs, that there are congregations out there with clothing pantries to make sure that people have um, clothes who need clothes and can't afford to buy clothes, Uh, that there are congregations who are willing and able and feel called to do works work with refugees like there are so many needs in our world and god is calling us to meet those needs but because we're all working together Mm -hmm. i don't have to be stressed out and overwhelmed and burnt out trying to meet all of the world's needs i can focus on what i can do here now in this place with this congregation which is focused on food ministry knowing that there are other people meeting other needs elsewhere. That is such a helpful example. And I, as you were saying it, it was, it was making me think, because uh, that, that can be true in a, in a given community across denominations, right? Like one church has the closed closet. We all don't have to have separate competing closed closets. Another church can have a homeless ministry. Another can have a food pantry, whatever. But sometimes within denominations, it's helpful. Like I, I think about in the Lutheran tradition, since 
World War II, um, in America, there's been the Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, which grew out of the war that happened in Germany, where there's a large Lutheran presence. And my goodness, there were a lot of people who were refugees after that, who had a Lutheran affiliation and got settled here in the United States. And that that became a core American Lutheran sort of a, yeah, we need to care about refugees. But as other groups face refugee crises in the decades since, and are then resettled temporarily or permanently in in the United States, often refugees or immigrants want to come to where there's already a neighborhood or, or a community of that group. And so as much as me in Western Pennsylvania might say, sure, I want to welcome a family to here, like, no, maybe they would like to choose where they'd like to live and they'd like to live where there's other of their neighbors. Well, wait, our denominational partnership allows me to be a part of supporting that work without uprooting somebody coming to this country as a refugee and say, you have to live where I want to volunteer you to live. No, there are other partners who would be able to help settle them in a place where it makes sense and they've got roots and connections already, but I'm not cut out of helping in that way because we have these partnerships. And I think about the way, especially in the literature that, that I'm aware of from Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, they, they treat that as, it's not that only Lutherans care about this, but we in particular have a century's worth of history of caring about refugees mm -hmm. because at one moment in recent history, it was us. And so hopefully we carry that on and also have that sense of when you're being resettled to another place, where is the best kind of community for you to flourish as you're finding a new home? And then how can other churches around across the country help that? To me, that, that's such, such a helpful point you raised, Sarah, about how we don't all have to do the same thing, but we can partner where our neighbors in other places are doing what we care about. And, and I think also for me, this this came to light in a congregation that I served who didn't want to support refugees. And so for me, it was one of those moments, it was freeing to know that it's okay if my, my congregation wants to let politics get in the way right now and not help refugees. It's okay because they are already active in these other ways of food, mm -hmm. food pantry, clothing closet. They don't have to be involved with refugees. Because I know that there are other congregations, other people who are stepping up to the plate and doing that work. Mm -hmm. So it's okay if that's not where my congregation wants to have their focus. And that's an important piece of wisdom for any local congregational leaders, whether you're talking about lay leaders in a council or, or a vestry or whatever, or, or pastoral leadership, for that congregation in their context to have clarity, what are we called to do locally? And then what are things that we support more broadly through financial donations that we might not directly have a hand in, but we're helping support that ministry more broadly. But what are the things that we need to do where we are? And that that's that interplay of, well, what else is in our community that's already being offered? So the neighbors already have a clothing ministry. We don't need to compete with them. That's not our job. How can we either support them and find what our niche is and that allows you to sort of ask the question, what ministries do we do in kind with hands on right where we are? And what are things that we can support in, in secondary, but still important ways financially or, or in, in other ways and still feel like we're a part of something bigger? And it's important to know what ministries your community needs. Yeah. You know, I, I think of um, the two churches I serve currently, they're a mile apart from each other approximately uh but one is like in downtown mm -hmm. as much of a downtown as we have but it's right there it's easy 
walking access to a lot of folks um, who don't have transportation, things like that. So the meals that they serve and the food banks that they have, I mean, there's, there's a housing development, there's a big apartment complex right across the parking lot from us of uh, older folks, some mentally um, disabled folks that live in there. And so we have very easy access to be able to feed them, to help them with food needs where my other church sits up on a hill outside of town that you, you need a car to get here. Yep. It is not safe to walk here from anywhere. Um, so, you know, it's not the best place to have a food ministry. Um, when most of the people that need food in your community may not have transportation. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a really helpful example, Erica. And I, I certainly resonate in the two congregations that I serve. They have a similar kind of a setting, one being in mm-hmm. town, in the town where it is, and yeah. walk right up kind of ministry can make sense. Uh, and on the other hand, the other church, which is out in the middle of farm fields, a lovely spot, but ministry has yeah. to look different. And uh, knowing, though, that at each congregation, we can still be a part of how do we support feeding our neighbors? How do we support mm-hmm. responding to disaster? And it, for for a lot of a lot of the cases, it's it's we find ways through our denominational or synod level or whatever mission partnerships that allow us in different ways to help the same kind of causes. And like my church up on the hill, my um, the previous pastor before me started a, a coat giveaway <clears throat> project uh, years ago, and they're still doing that. And so they have the space to store the coats and everything. But they know, again, that a lot of the people in our community that might need those coats may not have the transportation to get up here. Mm-hmm. And so while we store the coats and we collect the coats and, and we do fundraising for this coat drive, we then take those coats downtown. Mm-hmm to places like this year we're going to do it at my other church yeah um or you know the community building fire halls things like that where people who need them have more easy access to them yeah um because some of them might not be able to make it up here but they can make it to downtown and they can get the coats that they need to help keep them warm during the winter months yeah yeah it, it sounds like, I mean, I, I'm already persuaded that there's good denominations can do, but I think we made a decently persuasive case that, yeah, for all the all the uh, frustrations we may sometimes uh, vent about these structures we inhabit, um, there's good that they do. And it's not just in duplicating the doctrinal positions of our traditions, like we talked about before, but that there are ways we serve better when we serve together. And sometimes Mm -hmm. our denominational traditions and networks aren't hurdles or don't have to be hurdles. They can actually be conduits to make it easier to do those things. All that said, though, we are going to have to have some conversation next time about what are some of the challenges and maybe some of those frustrations or heartaches that come with living in uh, these traditions uh, as Christian denominations in the 21st century. So more to be said, uh, but join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.